Um, so uh, we are starting a new series uh, on the parables uh, of Jesus. And this first week, we are going to uh, start in Matthew 5. Uh, and so this is not, uh, we're going to start on technically not a parable. Um, but I wanted to start with this particular scripture uh, for us to kind of have a, um, uh, to give some, some vision to uh, what we want to think through as we think about what, what does Jesus want us to see, okay? So the challenge uh, for us always, right, is to gain perspective, right, and to have uh, an opportunity to do um, what God wants us to do. But when we're thinking about, um, when we're thinking about understanding the things that God wants us to understand, it's really important uh, for him, for us to be teachable, right? How many of us struggle uh, if you sit down with a friend, <clears throat> excuse me, and that friend needs to like tell you something, but they're not quite sure how to tell it to you. Anybody uh, been in this scenario, both in the receiving end or the giving end? Yes. Okay. So when we're thinking, um, and so often I think about the parables as, okay, I need them to understand something that they do not understand. And so I'm trying to figure out a way, uh, and he does this perfectly, to say, hey, this is how I need you to understand something about the kingdom or something about uh, God's character, or something about um, uh, what uh, life is about. Uh, and so I, that is the mindset that I want us to have as we have different folks uh, kind of uh, teaching and leading uh, through the different uh, parables of Jesus. Uh, but let's turn now uh, to Matthew 5. And we're going to talk about God's vision uh, for his people. And so the whole Sermon on the Mount could, could rightly uh, be given this topic, right? So as Jesus has come on the scene um, in his uh, earthly ministry uh, and message can be summed up in repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, right? And so um, then we, uh, we have in Matthew 5 the longest kind of portion of his teaching early in his ministry and he's sitting down with uh, his disciples and he is trying to teach them all that they need to, uh, we got some seats here, here, squeezing over here, um, that this is, um, that his disciples need to know, well, what does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom? And so over the summer, we were talking about um, kind of being mobilized, uh, what it looks like to have conversations uh, with um, folks in our lives about things uh, that we need to have conversations with them about. Uh, but when we're thinking about kingdom citizenship, right, we need to understand what, that, uh, what, um, what Jesus wants to communicate uh, to us uh, about. And so we have the Beatitudes. He talks about what it means to be blessed, right? We think uh, as Americans, as whatever country throughout the history of the world, everyone has an idea of what it means to be blessed, right? what it means to be fortunate, what, what it means to be in a good position. And so here at the beginning of Matthew 5, he lays that out. Hey, if, if you didn't, whatever you understand, I want you to understand that this is what God thinks it means to be blessed. This is what God means uh, to be fortunate, uh, for it to be fortunate. Uh, so let's look uh, so at the scripture that we're talking about today. So verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that uh, they may see uh, your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So in uh, in the scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus is portrayed uh, as the long-awaited saving king of the universe. That God's plan, right, is to send a person, right, to make things right. And as he makes things right and proves, right, his ownership and rule over the world, right, then he is going to do something for man that they cannot do for themselves. He's going to live a life, right, that is to be emulated. But it's not, but it can't be by us, right, as sinners, right? He's going to live a perfect life. He's going to die on a cross for our sins, right? And he's going to ascend to heaven and rightly sit and rule and reign over this world. Now, we think about a king, though, the picture that often is lost to us. We think about rule, but often how many of us are really happy with the rule that we've had in this country? Right, the governance that we've had, I don't want to pick sides and start an argument here. But throughout uh, kind of man's history, very few times do we have someone who rules over us, right, that we would consider as good, right? That we would hold up as, hey, thank you <laughs> uh, for ruling over me. In Scripture, uh, both in the Old and New Testament, God's rule and uh, his headship, particularly Jesus and God, are depicted as light. Almost all the time, except if you're in Columbia, South Carolina, in the months of July and August, right, light is really good. <laughs> right, sometimes in uh, where we are, it, uh, it brings a lot of heat and a lot of humidity. But for all recorded time, light, sun is good. Right, it is what represents life. And so I want this to be a picture that we have of God. And as we look at our scripture today, right, that is he he gives us an identity or better yet reminds us that we have a particular identity that we identify uh, uh, with him in this way. Uh, I want to remind us about what uh, the Bible says about um, Jesus being the light. And so we're going, to look at, um, we're going to look at a couple passages here. So John 1, uh, John uh, 4, 1, 9, 8, 12, and then a verse in Ephesians. And so I'll have these up on the screen. So John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now we think about light, right? We, we can think about what we, uh, the characteristics that we give to it. But here he's making this statement, right, that Jesus is the life that is in us. So theologically, it says this uh, earlier, but the, the, in the Trinity at the beginning of time, right, it is, uh, it is uh, Jesus as the life, right, is he is what is in all life, right? He is the creative presence uh, here. And so when he, uh, when he gives that title, John does in 1-4, he, 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 uh, he is the person of the Trinity that does this. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Thinking about that, that is what enlivens us, right? That is what gives us glow, right? That is what gives us uh, presence. He goes on in John 1, 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. And so again, he makes this statement that this is, right? If, if, for, if not for Jesus, 
right, the world would not have light or life. And if not for Jesus, you would not have light or life. John 8, 12. And this is further on in John. And then Jesus again speaking to them saying, I am the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so over and over again, right, we see this same thing that, that life is in Christ, that he wants to equate light and life, okay, and that it is in him. And so we can't just uh, know where life is, right, or like life, it needs to be in us, right? We need to be attached to it in some way. It needs to, uh, that we need to understand that. And then lastly, Ephesians 5, 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord and walk as children of light. So this last piece, right, that he's transferring the same truth, right? And so while we do this, or uh, while teachers are trying to give multiple verses, and we don't want you to just take kind of an idea and kind of run with it, we want to see that the, the Bible is pretty simple with its illustrations, Okay. It uses them over and over and over and over again because, I don't know if, if you're like me, I'm pretty dense, right? And I need to see these same pictures so that, right, I equate them the way he wants me to. And so because you were formerly darkness and now that you are attached or in Christ, right, you are light, don't continue to walk according to darkness, but walk according to light. And so this seems to be a simple thing, but, but if I were to raise hands, this is our daily struggle, Yes. I've got five Bibles around my house. I've got a Bible app. I can listen to anything uh, I want that is edifying to me all day, and yet I continually choose not to do that. Right? That I continually not choose not to do that when I should, even though I do. So as we see that that is very clear in the New Testament, I just want to show you a couple passages in the Old Testament that talk about the same idea too, that this is, uh, this is everywhere. And these passages in Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. And there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. It's talking about the Holy Land on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And here we're starting to begin to get a, a, a better picture, actually probably describes our world. Is our world a light place or a dark place? Okay, think about, you're like, yeah, everyone knows, yeah, it's a dark place. And the vision that Isaiah is giving us, right, is that God will not uh, let that tarry, that his plan is not for the world to be a dark place. But how does, he, how does he plan on making it not dark? And so here, right, he is talking about looking forward to the time of Christ where in darkness a light will come. And from one space, right, many will be enlightened. For a picture, uh, I want you to, if we can actually cut off the lights for a second, I need us to uh, get a couple pictures of this just because we are so dense. So just like hit clear over here. Uh, 
Okay. All right, so when we're thinking about, oh, the screens. <laughs> so when we're thinking about darkness, it's really helpful as we sit in the glow of these screens. If these were off, right, it would, what would be your feeling as you sat here in the darkness? That typically we don't do that, right? It's not unless we're in like a sensory deprivation chamber. Has anybody ever been in one of those? No, you've heard of them? <laughs> Just a dark room uh, with a muffled sound. But as we, as we sit, it's only as we sit in darkness or are in darkness, right, that light begins to have a power that we have never recognized before. And I want us to think about this, that as we right, our children of the light, right, as we have him who is both light and life, that there are those that do not. And this is the image that the, uh, that the prophet Isaiah is giving, right, his people that at some point, right, a great light will begin to shine, right, and wherever it comes into, right, it's going to change, right, the trajectory of that place, it's going to change what it looks like. It's going to change its focus. There's no way for the, the light that he speaks of, right, to be, uh, to, to not, like, have an effect. Does that make sense? We're just so used to light. <laughs> and so it is only in the absence thereof, right, that we um, kind of get a picture of what's here because the people, uh, you can cut the lights back on however slowly that, that happens. But it's a picture, right, that we need to understand that not everyone, right, has that. Think about as you watch the news about all of the stuff, right, in this world, all the people, all the places that need that light. So uh, a couple more. Isaiah 42, 6, I am the Lord and I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will point you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Right, he wants to remind us, right, that not, uh, that this light, right, needs to be also almost given over, right, to someone. Right, that I need, right, ambassadors of this light. I need people who have benefited so much from this light, have wanted this light so much, and then are seeking, right, to, as Isaiah says earlier, right, who will go for us? I will appoint you as a light to the nations. So we see that God's intention. And lastly, 49.6, and we talked about this, um, this verse in the last couple of weeks. He said, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the trials of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nation so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See, just because God is light, that doesn't necessarily mean that we are light. Why? Actually, I want to take a little pause here. I want you to kick that around your tables. Just because God is light and even light is in us, why does that not mean that we are automatically light? All right, so take a minute to kick that around. All right, so let's turn back to uh, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. 
So remember when we started that we want to see right what Jesus wants us to see that we need to kind of start with this presumption that we probably don't understand exactly like he wants us to understand. Okay. And so I know that's hard for us. We, uh, we think we get it right. It's really hard for somebody to change our mind about something. Yes. Yes. Like they have to work overtime. Like, nah, I think I got this. Like, no, no, you really don't. <laughs> and so Jesus is, is very kind with us uh, as he talks in parables, as he tells why he does that, right? Because in seeing, right, we, we sometimes always don't see. And in hearing, we sometimes always don't hear what he wants us to hear. And so as we look at Matthew 5.14, I want us to then, as we ask those questions, talk about that, look more closely at what he's saying. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So in this particular passage, there's three statements, and there's one exhortation. Right? Statements are, a, here is what he is saying is true. Okay? And an exhortation is, here is what I'm going to strongly urge you to do about this truth. As the first statement is that you are the light of the world. So Jesus was the light when he came. But his plan was to train up men and women to have light in of themselves that they could then share the light and life of God and about his kingdom and for people to come be ushered into that kingdom through faith in him and that for them to become light in the world, and so on and so forth up until the present time. Jesus is alive in us. He is not here anymore. We are the light. As his light was as bright as it could ever been, he, he passed that off. If we are not the light, there is no light. So the first thing is we've got to embrace this identity that being the light of, uh, having the light of life and being the light of Jesus is not the following things. Just because we show up to Sunday school or a service, that does not mean that we are showing the light. Just because we have a Christian t-shirt of a mission trip that we went to, that does not mean in front of somebody that we are the light in front of them. Because we listen to Christian music or because we have multiple Bibles in our house, because we don't curse, right? because we don't drink that much, Right? These in and of themselves are not any different uh, from the rest of the world. And so what is it? He's saying, you are the light of the world. I need you to understand what makes me different so that you can understand what makes you different. What makes you different is me. Not your t-shirt or your music. Right? Not your attendance at something. But that you have relationship with me. And so not only do we remember to do that, like, yes, Rob, I know that, you know, that's what it means to be a Christian, yet people all around us don't see the light in us. If Jesus just walked around saying he was a Christian, would he have changed the world as much as he did? What changed people's life? That he proved that he was the light, right? That he healed people, that he taught as one that had authority, that had compassion on them, that he redeemed them, right? That he worked works that only God can work, 
Anyone can be nice. <laughs> Anyone can be kind. But what can only God do? And so this is as strong a statement as he have ever made. This is not a throwaway line when he says that you are the light. I'll add, and there isn't another one. I know I often struggle with thinking, well, someone else will do it. Someone else will shine the light that they need to see. I'm here to tell you there is not anyone else. The church is the light. You are the church. You are the light. His second statement. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And this sounds amazing. And then you're like, okay, so what? The only thing the statement means is that if I build something elevated, there's no way to cover it up. It can't, it can't be hidden. The point, right, of you having light <laughs> is to show it to other people. That's the point of it. A city built on a hill, the point of it building it up there is for everyone to see it. The point of his light and his giving it to you, right, and to me is for it to be seen. In a way that it's actually impossible for it to be hidden because of the manner in which it was built. When we think about going back to the flashlight idea, when the, when the light is on, right, when we stick it someplace, like if it's hidden, if the flashlight's on, like what do people say, hey, your flashlight's on, right? They can't not see it. Even if it's in my pocket, right, somehow the light gets out, particularly in a dark place. I think this is a really helpful way for us to think about uh, if we understand this concept, right, and how far a lot of us have to go to understand it, including me, right, that as I have the light of life, it is actually impossible to cover it up. Do you understand that? Like, whatever I might do, I can't cover it up. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The light of Jesus cannot be snuffed out. It cannot escape the notice of people. And so this then begs what question? About the light that is in us, the actual light. It is impossible, he is saying, for this light to be undetected. If we have it. We can't miss it. So it's not an excuse for lack of effort, right? But a reminder. And lastly... Right, no one lights a lamp for the purpose of putting under a basket. It is to be placed on a lampstand to give light to all who are in the house. And so if you are light, and it's not possible right, for it to escape notice if it is indeed Jesus' light, right, it will come out. Then he reminds us then that the purpose of light, right, the purpose of the light is to give life to those around. Jesus didn't come because he was bored. <laughs> he's not on holiday. He's not trying to figure out what's going on down there, right? That as he saw the people without light, the plan, right, was to come down and to show it to them. Prior to that, right, he wanted to Israel to be the light, that they were to be the light as best they could if they, as they were obedient to the Father. But finally and surely the king would come and show them what the true light is. 
And so that's where we are, right? But he wants to make no mistake to, for us to see what he intends us to see, that that is what he's talking about, that this statement, it sounds nice, we can throw it up on something that we'd hang in our bathroom or at our mom's house, right? But he, he really, really, really wants to understand our identity and to embrace it. To, to pump us up, right? To help us understand who and what we are in him and how much light is in us, that it can't not get out. And this last line that I want us to, uh, to notice here as it relates to uh, the passage Nor do the people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, right? And it gives light to all who are in the house. And I want you to think about the places that you are. That if it was nighttime and we went and walked your, your weekly walk, right? If we, if we drove the road that you drove every week, if we went into the offices and into the restaurants and into the living rooms of the people that you do life with, what if you did that, right, with a flashlight? <laughs> right, that, that your light, right, is supposed to give off, right, Jesus. This is what, as, G, as you are representing him, right, we walk in and it's like, huh, so this is what Jesus is like. And he's saying if that is light, right, if it feels like light to everyone else, right, that is what he wants us to understand. That's how powerful it is. Right, for, his light, for his light to shine on someone else. And so, so often we think that, well, I guess you get to cut my light on when I want to. Mission trip time. Right, service time. Right, quiet time. Right, that that's the times where my light shines. And he says, no, I, my purpose for you is for your light to shine in the home. Right? To all who would be around you, that, that I want them to know the light too. That that is its purpose for me giving it to you. How have I corrupted that? But the light is for me. <laughs> the light is my ticket into heaven. Right? The, the ticket away from guilt and sin and shame. And yet here over and over and over again, right, he is helping us try to see this picture. Right? That the light in us is absolutely valuable and absolutely awesome. Right, but why he's turning you into light is so others can be enlightened as well. So the lastly, he gives us an exhortation. But does anybody have any questions right, or feedback about those three statements? Those are powerful statements that we need to receive and work through. That's hard. Each one of those I want to recognize Right, how hard those statements are to receive. He is telling this to a people that don't get it either and weren't doing it either. Okay? They took this as hard as you're probably taking this right now. Man, I don't do that. That's why he's teaching us. That's why we need to be reminded that if I'm reminded on Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday about that truth and I seek to internalize that and, to and Father, teach me that, then that's much better than seven days that I wasn't trying. You understand? He teaches not to make us feel guilty. Right? He teaches to remind us right, of who we are and what our purpose is. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that as often as I'll open my ears. 
So the lastly, right, as we have the statements, because truth is like it just sits there, then here is the exhortation. He says, let. Let your light shine before others so that they can see the good works you produce and you can glorify your Father in heaven. I think this is the, the hardest part for us to do, right? Because I don't know about you, but I have, uh, I have learned in the short time that I have, uh, I, didn't, I didn't grow up from a, a small child in the church. I came to church and uh, came to Christ in high school and started becoming a part of the community in high school. But even from that time until uh, I'm old now, that I have learned from the people around me to hide my light when it's, incon- when it's not convenient. Amen? Um, the light is on. This would actually be a pretty fun, funny game. That we, that we leave our flashlight on all day, and yet we try to make sure that no one sees it. Wouldn't that be a fun game? <laughs> it's on, and it's running out my battery. But I win if, I, if somebody doesn't notice my light. And so here's our exhortation. So that is our default. That is what people around, like we've learned from people around us to do like that. Amen? And here is his urging. He's saying, let. Your light shine. Oh, the light's off. Oh, nice. It doesn't want to work. That sounds like me. There's, a, there's an analogy there. Press the light. Oh, there we go. Pressing the button, not coming on. Right, so, as we, so the, the exhortation here is to let it, which means that God knows us really well, doesn't he? Like really, really well, doesn't he? Because it's like, as I, uh, as Andy have I taught many times, right? It's like, but I'm busy. <laughs> but I'm uncomfortable. But what are your buts? So God's not calling you to be amazing at this. He's calling you to understand that it's true. And he's calling you to understand what he actually wants from you. And he's calling you to then, in the face of that, I can't plead ignorance any longer, right? I can't say, well, I'm not sure what that looks like. That's why he gives us these pictures. I want Rob to be crystal clear about who he is in me. If only he'll just do it. Right? Isn't that the challenge? It's so easy to feign ignorance or I don't understand or I didn't get it when we mess up. But God is so kind to us. That over and over again, he's like, Rob, I love you, buddy. You're slow, and you don't get it a lot of times, but I'm going to keep on telling you because this is important to me. This is the purpose for which I came. So the last piece I want to talk about is, this, uh, is good works. So we need to let our light shine. That that needs to be a default, that I need to take my hand right off of the flashlight. I need to pull it out of my pocket, right, metaphorically speaking. He said, I need you to let your light shine. And here is how our light shines. We need to be kind. We need to be gathered here, (laughs) sitting under teaching and worshiping and being with the body and ministering. We need to do all that stuff. Okay? But But for them to see the light, right, that they need to see good works. And so here's how I want you to think about this. Good works is God works. Okay? 
Good works is God works. Oftentimes, well, what's a good work? Is it me being kind? Is it not me punching somebody in the face? Is it me not honking 10 times? If I just do eight, that's fine. Okay, a lot of times we set limits on ourselves about like, okay, I'm, I didn't get that angry. But if we, if our scorecard, right, is God's scorecard, if he trusts us enough to do the works that he has done, right, then we are, again, our eyes are open to like, he expects me to be like him and to do things like he would do. Yeah, the bar's raised, guys. <laughs> That's what the Sermon on the Mount is, is that he's saying that, that me and you is so much more and different and better than you could ever imagine. Like, you, you can't quite imagine what I have in store for you here. I, you can't quite imagine what my light will look like in your life if you will just let it. And so as he shares, here you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket on the lampstand and gives light to all the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They know that you can't do his works. That's why they glorify him. We need to do the things that we can do. Don't stop doing things that you can do in your own power, right? But the things that glorify God are the things that he can do through you. Those are the good works that glorify him. And so that today, if only if it's a picture of like an inkling of a thought of that who I, what I can do in him and how I can be used for him, then we are on the precipice, right, of being available to be a light in this world. Right, because unless we, uh, when we're shortchanging, right, what we, he can do through us or what he, that he means for us to do in him, then what does that light look like? So let your light shine. Don't cut yourself off from the king who gives the light. Right, remember Mary and Martha? That we need to be the one who sits at the Father's feet, that spends time in the light. Right, we go to the beach in the sun, everyone knows. Amen? When I, when I go out for high for 10 minutes, people know. <laughs> Don't your, cut yourself off from the king, right, and spend time brightening the light in you. So as we close, I just would like to close with you as we have the past couple weeks. So what do you think? Right, I've told you some stuff. So if you want to pray around your table, if you're just like, here's, here's, my, here's what I think about what Rob said. Uh, I want to give you some time to debrief. It is very important for our learning process for us to just talk out loud or think or do whatever you're going to do. So take a minute and then I'll close this here in about five minutes. Okay, let's pray. Father, we um, acknowledge uh, your authority in our lives. Uh, we acknowledge uh, that you are the king of the universe. That you have bought us with a price. That you have redeemed us. Father, in that 
um, life is in you. Lord, uh, this morning, uh, Father, I pray that you would continue uh, to open our eyes to your truth and the metaphor that you use about light and that that is who you are and that's where life is and that's what you call us. Father, that the world is a dark place uh, due to sin and rebellion. Father, but you are light. And Father, uh, we are the light of the world. Father, would we be the light that you want us to be? Lord, that starts with us understanding our identity, and that continues with us giving over to, to wanting to please you in that way. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us that, uh, that we cannot repay. Father, we thank you for the joy that it is uh, to be your children. And Lord, I pray that we would be uh, just as joyful as we walk in this world and love people the way that you call us to love them. So Lord, we ask, Father, that you would teach us to be light. That you would teach us that the type of light that you seek us to have cannot be hidden. And that we need to actively let it shine by doing the works that you have called us to do. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather with the larger body. We ask that that be a time of encouragement, of challenge, right, and of joy. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.